0: You're listening to Tech Talks, the TV industry podcast from Broadcast Tech Magazine. My name is Jake Bickerton, and I'm the editor of Broadcast Sport and Broadcast Tech Magazines. Today I'm talking to senior colourist Paul Ensby. He began his career in 1990, following his father and grandfather's footsteps into the film lab as a 35mm laboratory feature timer. He moved to digital grading in 2001, and has notched up an impressive credit list, including Ridley Scott's Kingdom of Heaven, Guy Rich's The Man from Uncle, Assef Kapadia's Oscar winning Amy, and Josie Rock's Mary Queen of Scots. He rejoins Technicolor, where he began and spent the majority of his career on Monday, 1st of June. Back in
1: 1990, when I first started in the industry, it was basically a Technicolor film lab out by Heathrow in London, and it was a very different world to what it is now. Starting out in business, Following my uh, grandfather's and father's footsteps.
0: And was their background in film labs specifically?
1: My grandfather worked in the solutions department, so he was almost head deep in a bath of bleach roasted basically. <laughs> and health and safety not being quite up to speed as it was in those days, it was kind of a surprise he survived as long as he did. Um, and my father just started off in humble beginnings in the stores, but then worked his way up to being to himself on what we had 16 mil drama in those right. days right. um and then um ended up as a, as a sort of feature contact man which is basically like a almost like a di producer nowadays what it would be you get up at five in the morning and look at the previous days rushes that were shot on film in those days and come back directly to the dp every morning about what he'd got in front of him be their eyes the first eyes on their 2 that they shot the previous days. He ended up being the lead sort of contact for any Warner Brothers project. That was where he was when I kind of joined. They used to advertise internally those days. And there was one for a 35 mil feature timer um, trainee. I put my hat into the ring and, and I think I, would, I was seen as a someone named who might take to it and be able to train up and stay for a bit longer than some people did. After a kind of intense two year training program, Internally, the switch was flicked and I was okay.
0: Were you working literally with your dad at that time?
1: In the training period, you stayed away from any kind of important projects, and you were like trailers and stuff like that, or student films. But eventually, there may be a bit of a crossover there at the times when he'd, he'd be looking after a project because he used to see them through from the dailies, he'd see it through to the release stage. And so, you know, sometimes I would get assigned to one of his projects and we'd work together, which is a bit strange.
0: Did you have to uh, do that for a few years at the start?
1: After your two-year training period, you were given three films to work on. If you got through those adequately, you were then assigned to be in a senior time. Right. I got through those three projects, and then before you know it, you're in a 24-year-old in a room with Ridley Scott. You're trying not to uh, look too sneaky or too intimidated by that. And uh, you'd have to kind of prove that you could do it, otherwise you wouldn't last very long.
0: So how did and you get into that position at such an early age to be working with the likes of Ridley Scott?
1: There was only a certain amount of us Suddenly, there would be this film, and I'd be assigned to it. I'd be like, okay, well, okay, I'll do it. It was a very steep learning curve very early, and you would have to really know color very well, be able to assess instinctively what to do with, some, with an image without actually seeing the results straight away. So, yes.
0: I mean, how did it work to so the lay person that doesn't know a great deal about processing film and the kind of color side of it?
1: the rolls and rolls and negatives which they shoot on the set would be then put together by a negative cutter based on the editor's decision mm-hmm. and we would literally get that negative it, literally each scene would then you'd have to assign a level of red green and blue for the printer to print that particular shot at
0: I see
1: bearing in mind all you could have was colour and density there was no contrast setting or anything like that from the original choices you made you would then have a print which would sit down and view with the with the director of photography, director, uh, sometimes editors, and literally in real time, you'd have to sit there with a pen and paper and your own version of shorthand, saying, as they said, each scene. Oh, can we have this bit brighter, a bit darker, a bit greener? And this shot doesn't match that shot, and blah, blah, blah.
0: Mm-hmm. and
1: you'd end up, you know, in real time because we couldn't stop and start like we can now. Yeah, so. yeah, And it was all interpretation, and you'd have to. They would say, oh, it's a bit cold this scene. You say, and in your head you'd be going, well, what is a bit? Is he talking about red or is he talking about magenta? Is he talking about yellow? Yes. Very quickly, you learn, interpret what they were saying to you in a in a, in a real colour way. And then you sit down, make those changes to your to each red, green, and blue value for each shot. Two days later, you get another print off and see how you're done. That will process to repeat again. But obviously, that costs money every time you do a print.
0: What sort of kit would you use to change those RGB values?
1: Originally, there'd be a hazel team. From then on, you worked on a print. And you worked on a machine which are literally hand-wound projectors, look at your notes and try and, and then punch into a computer, give you a readout for each scene. As so the result of that, you'd end up printing out a long piece of computer tape, which was just a series of punch holes in a computer tape, which would then be fed into the printer, then give you results. So it was quite a...
0: Wow, <laughs> it was, <laughs> it's amazing.
1: It was quite it was amazing how anything i ever got finished.
0: How many years were you doing that for before digital ways of grading started coming in?
1: Almost 10 years before this crazy thing called digital grading started to slowly but surely appear on the horizon. It got to the late 90s and having been doing it for as long as I was doing it and assessing the situation and the whole industry at that stage, I dabbled in a little bit of digital grading, firstly via telecine, but then when the digital and the intermediate started to really in the head, it was a case of, well, those two things were coming together and it seemed like the ideal thing for me to put my hand into. Mm. Although Technicolor at that stage hadn't got it off the ground, another company called Cinesight had. They wanted to do some feature work. I was put forward as a name to do that for them. And it was very rudimentary in those days. We had one colorist and we had three terabytes of disk storage for the, for the machine we were working on. So it was really one film in, one film out.
0: It must have seemed like a massive amount of storage at the time, didn't
1: it? It certainly felt like. I've never heard of a terabyte for it in there. No. But <laughs>
0: That was your start at Cinesight of doing this full digital grading and how long did you stay there for?
1: We lasted for about 18 months we were very ahead of our time but unfortunately Kodak who ran um, Cinesight mm. at the time decided to amalgamate their US and UK businesses and the DI side of it went to the States we kind of shut down and went back to Technicolor initially as a sort of Tennessee operator but then very quickly after I rejoined they decided to build a DI facility
0: who did you start working with in terms of the directors and DOPs and the kind of projects that you worked on from then on?
1: Well, weirdly enough, the very first thing I did with Technicolor was with Ridley Scott, with um, John Matheson, the DP, who I've since worked with more than anyone else, really, I would say. And he wanted to work by a laboratory, but with me being there by his side, I could kind of guide him through his first steps. I could say, well, I don't have to use all these tricks and Tools I can use, what you're comfortable with
0: using. And wh- which film was that again?
1: That was um, *Kingdom of Heaven*. So it, it's a nice film to look at. It's not a great film to watch. I
0: suppose that is a bit of a frustration as a colorist. You can make something look beautiful, but if ultimately the film isn't so good, yeah, that work right. is yeah not seen <laughs> as quite so. <laughs> that? Yeah,
1: exactly. It works both
0: ways. Can you list a few of the key directors that you've worked with since then, and some of the key projects as well?
1: I was lucky enough to work with Sir Richard Attenborough or Lord Attenborough on his last film. Quite a small film, but it was just amazing to work with him. I worked on Kingdom of Heaven, as I say, Kinky Boots, Doom, which was the video game, Miss Potter, and some of the directors: Jane Campion, Richard Eyre, uh, Neil Jordan, Ridley Scott, who I've mentioned. Or just noticed Spice World, which I kind of. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> elvis costello was in that though so it has its bonus point yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah. There's, a, there, there's there's lots of cameos in that well i haven't i can't admit to it being a regular watch in my house guy ritchie i worked with a couple of times there's a few names dotted around in there
0: the quiz which is incredible success yeah. that's one of yours as well isn't
1: it? yeah that was a, that was a great little show for um itv in left bank earlier in the year they were a lovely bunch on that and we had a lovely time
0: what about the pandemic has it impacted on the kind of projects you've been able to work on as well
1: well reasonably early on the major projects either stopped or were delayed anyway we're just starting slowly to come out of that now time will tell what that what how that will evolve in the next coming months and years it's been a case of just doing anything you can remotely even the next few months, I think it'll just continue that way. It's not the same as being in a room with someone, obviously. So as soon as we can get back to being together, it will be a better experience for sure. I've kind of got a, a thing called TechStream, which allows people to virtually be in the room. They can see what you're doing via an app. So there's, there's all kinds of different ways of remotely working nowadays. And I think this, a lot of it's been fast-tracked because of this process.
0: You're officially starting back on the 1st of June aren't you, in Technicolor, yeah. so would well, you still be sort of working remotely for a little while?
1: Some would say I've been in isolation for a long time anyway, I've been working in a sort of dungeon area, working away on my own most of
0: the time. Certainly from
1: you know 1st of June, I won't be in the office, but I'll be available for for remote grading.
0: Why back to Technicolor again?
1: Well, I've got a lot, a lot of history there, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it was a case of where I just felt it was the right time. You know, they've always been good to me down the years and I just felt it was the right thing to do at this time and be back home, if you like.
0: Thanks a lot, Paul. It's been really nice talking to you. And and, you. and good good luck as well on Monday <laughs> for your virtual it's start.
1: It's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, you'll eventually meet your colleagues at someday, I'm sure.
1: All right, nice to
0: meet you. Likewise. Cheers. Take care, mate. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of Broadcast Tech Tours Podcasts. Subscribe now and I'll see you next time.